0: your eyes are your window to your health. We've heard that over and over and this podcast is actually going to get into that so you can better understand what's out there at a fraction of a cost that can really give you a good perspective of your chances of risk factors for some chronic conditions. Also, this episode will explore some of the Factors that are assessed in blood workup with the uh, beginning of the year around the corner. Uh, A lot of people leave their annual checkups for that time period. So it's one thing to get the blood result and your doctor telling you everything is okay. But you need to understand if it actually is okay or not. You have to understand when we look at a lab range, You're looking at sick range. So anything below or above that range is indicative of something that's wrong. But why would you want to wait until something is wrong to do something about it? What if you're on your way to being wrong? So somewhere within that lab range is a much tighter range that will give you a lot of great information as far as your risk factors for some of these chronic conditions are concerned. So this episode, will explore that. I hope you find value in it. I know I do, and I learned a couple of things I didn't know uh, that thankfully now I do. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please forward them to me via email, drspodcastshow at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate this podcast. So, with no further ado, here we go. So, what if you assess the retina, back of your eye, as a diagnostic tool to evaluate the risk factors for many diseases? That sounds amazing, and something that we certainly don't do uh, these days. Uh, there is a Dr. Thomas Lewis, who is a microbiologist with a PhD from MIT, that wrote a book called The End of Alzheimer's, The Brain, and Beyond. He presented this whole subject uh, to a um, symposium, Academy of Scientists and um, uh, Experts, and he also wrote a paper on the very subject. He talked about eye-brain connection. So he said that glaucoma, which you know is something that gets assessed when you go to your optometrist, they measure the pressure inside the eye. So glaucoma is Alzheimer's disease of the eye, and Alzheimer's is the glaucoma of the brain. That's how he put it. And there, then there is cataracts that are considered a manifestation of your innate immune response against both acute and chronic infection. So while we look at cataracts as, okay, someone's getting old and their eyes just not, the lens is impacted, Dr. Lewis looks at it, especially in early cataracts, as a telltale sign of... uh, Uh, basically longevity. So infection causes and impacts your life, obviously, especially if it's chronic. And most people with cataracts, early signs of cataracts, die of vascular event fairly young. So Dr. Lewis explains that the eye are a biomarker For systemic diseases, systemic means all of your body impacted. Uh, He explains, quote, when you look at disease in the allopathic system, you're either healthy or you're sick. But we rely on a continuum of health. I say we live on four different continuums. Determinants of health, lifestyle, risks, things like that. For, phy- for physiological health, we measure blood, stool, and urine. For pathology, which is largely ignored, we do ultrasound MRI CT scans that assess tissue damage. The eye happens to be particularly good at that because the eye is transparent, and the methodology used to measure the eye is low-cost and non-invasive but highly precise and accurate. He goes on to say, for example, optical coherence tomography, OCT, is much more precise at looking at microvessels, capillaries, compared to MRI because the wavelength of light they use to create the interference is much shorter wavelength. In other words, it gives much more detail than an MRI. Quote closed. So OCT or optical coherence tomography is a type of tomography that uses safe non-ionizing light, uh, light waves. It's about $50 and certainly an inexpensive diagnostic tool to tell what's going on in your body. It can be done by your local optometrist when you go see your optometrist more than likely because the eye is transparent OCT allows you to see all the microvessels and whatever is happening in the vasculature in your eye and therefore it's also happening in the rest of your body because the carotid is the most vascular tissue in your entire body. Dr. Lewis explains whereas the brain uses 10 times more oxygen than most tissue on a per mass basis. The retina, which is constantly converting photons to electrons, uses even more oxygen on a per mass basis. If you're vulnerable, the eye is potentially a canary for that vulnerability. That's why we use the test. It's so simple to see if there are life risks that are translating into physiological risks and then changing into pathological risks. When you're changing into pathological risk, a bad ending is getting closer because you have tissue damage basically, quote, closed. So next time when I go to see my optometrist, I'm going to ask if I can have my OCT, optical, as I I mentioned, optical coherence tomography, and then see how that compares to what it needs to be. Is it good? Is it eh? I do know, just uh, a side note, that, for example, uh, we look in the eyes for what's called neovascularization. This is uh, to assess the um, severity of the damage done by diabetes because it impacts the vasculature uh, production. So we already are using The eyes as a window to assess diabetes extent. So, um, a good one to have. Now, they're comparing, or with COVID being around, it just seems like that's the sun of our life. It's like everything revolves around that. So, when it comes to this OCT and COVID and all these other things that all these biomarkers and all these Um, factors that we assess in a normal blood workup. What's the correlation with that? At this juncture, like I said, it seems like most people are concerned about COVID, but in this episode, I'm going to go over some of the correlations between your blood factor, blood uh, uh, factors that are in the report, COVID and other chronic diseases. You have to understand as popular or unpopular as it is, how strong your immune system is, is a determining factor as to how well your body is going to defend itself against whatever is out there, COVID or not. With COVID-19, we already know that ferritin and erythrocyte sedimentation rate, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, is signified as SED on your blood workup. So is ferritin. Ferritin is not necessarily a test that your normal standard annual blood workup is. So my suggestion is when you're getting the order to get the blood workup done this coming year or if you're due for one already, make sure ferritin is included. SED, or uh, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, even though it's not ESR, it's SED, is uh, also not a common thing that is asked. So ask your doctor to make sure SED is done. So with COVID-19, we know that ferritin and SED are high. With retina and OCT, They're measuring how full the vessel is towards these markers that create this cytokine storm, which you've heard, high inflammation, and kill people and try to modulate that, according to Dr. Lewis. So OCT, it looks for how strong and how well the blood vessels are, and erythrocyte. Sedimentation rate, ferritin are high in COVID 19, so it's a matter of what's going on, what's the correlation here. He goes on to say uh, with ZPAC, they treat ZPAC for COVID 19, not because ZPAC treats COVID 19 and cures it or gets rid of it. What it does is it treats bacterial infection. But we all have a subclinical bacteria infectious burden. And that burden is taking up immune system bandwidth, which makes you less able to fight something as virile as COVID-19. That's why z works. You see, we... In a normal body, we have what's called normal flora. Normal flora is a bacteria that resides in your intestine. It has a huge role in your producing probiotics, which basically helps you with immunity. We already have that. Under normal healthy conditions, we also have cancerous activities. This is just a side note. So, Every single one of us at some juncture, we can, you can think of it as you have cancer. The person that has actually cancer is when those cancerous activities are out of norm. They're overproducing. So it's off balance. The homeostasis is off. So Dr. Lois explains that the reason COVID, uh, when people have COVID, ZPAC is used is because ZPAC addresses bacterial infection. And since we have some degree of bacterial infection, um, basically that in us uh, under normal conditions, this z will deal with that. So the energy of your white blood cells and your immune system is used to fight COVID instead. Dr. Lewis goes on to explain our immune response is innate and adaptive. It's about being able to more accurately measure your immune-compromised status. And almost everything we measure is reversible through very simple processes, supplementation, lifestyle activities, treating the infection, treating the pre-existing virus. So let's understand cytokines. We talked about cytokines. Cytokines are not your enemies. Cytokines are essentially very short-lived signaling proteins that have regulatory properties, so they can be beneficial or detrimental. In other words, it could be pro-inflammatory, cause inflammation, or anti-inflammatory, remove inflammation. It all depends on what's going on. It's not so much that cytokines are bad, they're absolutely necessary, or you'd be dead in a few heartbeats without them. But when they get out of control, they can kill you, and that's what cytokine storm we hear about with COVID-19 is. The reason vitamin D is recommended is because vitamin D works to abort most cytokine storms through its modulation of the immune response, and the reason why it actually works. So it's all about homeostasis. Disease happens when homeostasis is gone. So for you to, uh, you don't need to become, none of us, I'm not an immunologist by any means. In fact, that was probably my least favorite course in college, but... You have to understand some very basic function. I'm just amazed at how people repeat what they hear without really understanding it. Like people hear cholesterol is bad, not understanding that actually cholesterol is perfect for you. What's bad is the imbalance in your HDL-LDL. So instead of trying to take some medication to balance it and thinking your problem solved, perhaps take the medication or um, a substitute for that, uh, the natural way, to balance it while you're looking into to see what's going on. So I I want you to start thinking in those terms, not thinking that something that happens in your body naturally is just like your enemy. It's a response to something else. What is that something else that's causing your body to lose its balance? That should be your agenda. So we look at things like uh, sediment, uh, earth sedimentation rate. We look at C-reactive protein, for example, with cholesterol. There are other markers that show inflammation, but that's not necessarily... It, 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 it's really not your enemy. It's a sign of something else being off. So... That should be your agenda, and that's not what's happening. So some of the helpful tests uh, that you should consider when you're asking for your doctor uh, for for your blood workup and making sure that they are on the test. Let me tell you a little something. Each doctor's office, uh, when we open our practice, uh, either private or, um, I mean, I don't know, with a... a, um, um, hospital situation. So let's talk about private practice. When we open our practice, all these labs that exist that you guys go to, they give us a um, form, a form that is unique to that lab. And then we pick what we like to be included in, let's say, CBC panel or in your annual checkup, I should say. So then out of those, panels which specific things we'd like to be included. So my annual checkup may be different, and more than likely, I'm just trying to be conservative here, is different than the doctor next door. Because what I like to look at, and I consider it to be a good um, um, widespread assessment of the patient, is different than the other doctor. A lot of times, insurance companies don't even pay for some of these tests there. For example, what used to be the standard for thyroid assessment uh, is now down to TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone. And um, that's that. That doesn't do anything. So, so th- that way you understand. So when you can write these tests that I'm about to... Uh, Uh, share with you that they have some specific values you may want to write them down and when you see your doctor um, make sure that they're included there if not they can mark it and say please do these tests as well for me all of these I always mark and I make sure that they are included in uh, the lab order that I give to my patients I don't necessarily get a lab order from or form from the local labs. I just created my one. I hand that to my patient. I say go to whatever lab you want. They use that and what's written on my form to then do the testing. So one of the uh, I'm just going to go ahead and read off those tests and then we'll go back in case you want to write them down. So one is 125 hydroxy vitamin D. The other one is RBC magnesium. The other one is neutrophil and lymphocyte. And then we're going to look at neutrophil lymphocyte ratio. RDW, red blood cell distribution width, that is part of a normal CBC. C reactive protein is typically not ordered, but can be ordered. Fibrinogen is typically not ordered, but could be asked for. Ferritin is typically not ordered, but can be asked for. Fasting insulin is typically ordered. Uric acid is typically ordered. Homocysteine is not typically ordered. SED rate is not typically ordered. And those are the ones that I will be going over. So let's start with 125 vitamin D, dehydroxy vitamin D. It's an activated form of vitamin D. It essentially increases antimicrobial peptides and improves the activity of neutrophils. Neutrophils are white blood cells that fight bacteria. Then we've got magnesium. Which thankfully has now become more, um, you've heard more about it. Magnesium is an important cofactor for the activation of vitamin D. Taking magnesium can actually reduce the amount of oral vitamin D you're required to optimize your uh, vitamin D level with. Now, when it comes to magnesium, there are different kinds of magnesium. There is magnesium l that really helps your brain function. Magnesium malate, which seems to be more effective for people with sleeping issues. So I take magnesium, both of those, and I alternate between the two. I do take vitamin D as well. Then we've got neutrophil and lymphocytes. That's a... Um, Uh, part of the CBC um, panel. Uh, White blood cell panel is uh, uh, standard. Both neutrophil and lymphocytes are. So the ratio is what we're looking at. Typically, the ratio is not shared, but all it takes is just to take your neutrophil and lymphocyte. This marker Determines prognosis in most solid tumor cancers. Neutrophils go up when there is a bacterial infection, lymphocytes go down when the virus uh, when there is a viral presence. Uh, the neutrophil lymphocyte ratio is sort of an amplified barometer of your infectious burden. The absolute count should be 1.5 or below. Anything above 55% neutrophils is indicative of a chronic, more than likely bacterial infection. Then we have the RDW, the width of your red blood cells. So red blood cells are small, but as they get older, they get larger. If you're the... the, the Distribution width, the RDW is wide. You likely have plaques and inflamed carotid arteries. So higher RDW is indicative of that. Above 16 or 17, RDW could be a sign of anemia between 12.5 and 16. It's a pure sign of inflammation. This is what functional lab is. So most of the times, that's totally ignored in the absence of signs and symptoms. This is what we call subclinical. Subclinical means it hasn't become a full-blown announcing, I'm a disease. It's on its way. So to me, beauty of it is when you look at something, it's almost like a detective work. So you can do this yourself, Unfortunately, the days of you relying on uh, authority, someone who's gone to school for many years to become the experts, we now know that unfortunately, it's not that the doctors are not caring. It's just that the standards of teaching and learning has changed. They've, They've changed. For whatever reason, we're not going to get into. So you need to be more proactive. That's what it boils down to. I'm sorry. I wish I could make it easier and I had a better answer, but I don't. So just just become more experts in it. So above 16 or 17 is a sign of anemia. Between 12.5 and 16 for RDW, it's a pure sign of inflammation. Then you've got C-reactive protein which we immediately look as if C-reactive protein means um, um, you're going to get a heart disease. Well, C-reactive protein is a marker for inflammation. That's what it is. So when you have, and unfortunately, what we understand of cholesterol is far from the truth. Cholesterol, when it goes up with C-reactive protein going up, with HDL going down and LDL going up, that just means this person is inflamed. It's not so much diet-related. Although, bad diet can and does increase your inflammation. So it's like adding oxygen to fire. So understand what that means. Then we've got what's called fibrinogen-65, Fibrinogen is a good marker for how well your body is able to repair itself. If it's between 150 to 285, your recovery is meeting your wear and tear allowing you to properly heal and recover. So between 150 and 285 is fine. When it goes above 285, you're probably deteriorating much faster than repairing yourself. Fibrinogen is also a clotting factor marker. So in COVID-19 and sepsis inflammation, basically on the inside, high fibrinogen is indicative of of cytokine storm. Pre-cytokine storm levels are also indicative of several chronic diseases, including heart attack and cancer. So, 150 to 85 is what it should be. Above 285, you've got issues. Ferritin, ferritin. I always order ferritin because a lot of times when people have low energy and their iron level is low, they automatically, uh, other doctors, medical doctors, put the person on iron. But not every anemia, not every anemia is iron deficiency anemia. So your ferritin has to be there to give, give a better picture. Ferritin is a transport, iron transport protein that becomes elevated in COVID-19 and other serious illnesses. So if your iron is low, your ferritin is low, you need to take iron. If your iron is low, your ferritin is normal, you are a B12 deficient anemia, uh, anemic. Iron catalyzes growth of bacterial pathogens, really important. When your blood cells are under attack by a pathogen, your body responds by hiding the iron from the antigen, which is the infection, in the ferritin protein. Therefore, it causes anemia and high ferritin. So if you have low iron and high ferritin, you've got issues. If your ferritin is high, your iron may not be available to the the pathogen, but it's still available to the cells of your body. Since iron is a powerful oxidant stressor and increases inflammatory mediators and cytokines, the solution for high ferritin is to donate blood. Generally speaking, if your ferritin is above 100 You should donate blood. Beautiful setup. Then you've got your fasting insulin, which we all pretty much do. Insulin resistance in the foundational contributor to most chronic diseases and significantly increases your risk of complications and death from SARS-CoV-2 infection. It's a test that obviously we can do at home. Then there is uric acid, which when it's high, you know, you should know that that's your chances of gout. And basically uric acid helps protect it against hypoxia. You've got homocysteine, which is a vascular toxin associated with heart disease that is influenced by your vitamin B levels. So... Dr. Lewis explains LabCorp keeps changing the reference normals and now they're as high as 17. But a baseline of 9 every 5 points, higher homocysteine leads to a 40% increase in dementia because it's a vascular toxicity. So your homocysteine should be 9. If it's 14, now you have 40% chance, increase, not chance, 40% increase in dementia because it's a vascular toxicity. Remember, homocysteine is a vascular toxin. So it's a good one to assess. Then we've got the sedimentation rate, which is how fast your red blood cell settles in a test tube. You see, the outer layer of... Your red blood cells, it's a it's a charge layer, and it's the reason why it's, why it's buoyant, it it floats. That outer repulsive layer charge, when it's lacking, it increases the sedimentation rate. Doctor Lewis goes on to explain: SED rate is a surrogate of how good your electrical system is working which I then use as a surrogate for your gut and how well it's doing at digesting and making minerals bioavailable because it's a sodium-potassium pump that derives the electrical potential of cells among other minerals. Ideally, that's that's quote closed. So ideally, your sedimentation rate should be close to zero. The lower, the better. The higher the SED the worse you're off, because it means the battery of your red blood cells are discharged, which will result in systemic problem and overall low energy level. So typically, your sedimentation rate will improve once you start to heal and rebalance your gut. So SED should be associated with, it should be close to zero. Zero would be perfect. And if it's not, it shows a gut issue. Now, there are a lot of different things that can be done. So when I was looking into this uh, whole Dr. Uh, uh, Thomas Lewis and kind of exploring him, I'd like to interview him for, my, for a podcast. So I'm going to approach him with the hopes, crossing my fingers, that he's going to accept it. But I came across this website that's called healthrevivalpartners.com healthrevivalpartners.com. I really would like for you to look into it. Um, A lot of good information and it's like $10 a month that you can pay and you get all this valuable information for those of you who are interested in taking more proactive measures Otherwise, I believe they provide services where they, they will do the assessment for you. I think that's money well spent. I'm going to approach him and see if I can uh, talk to him uh, on, uh, as an interview or someone from that office that is involved with the testing and hopefully we'll get some valuable information there. At any rate, this concludes the podcast. I had fun. I'm fascinated by functional endocrinology, functional lab assessment. I hate to wait until it's too late. Uh, You can't strategize a war as you're fighting the war. Keep that in mind. It makes more sense. if, If we're looking at our health as if it's a report card and we're all students... Why would you want to wait until a D and F on your report card to know that you need to work on a subject matter? It just doesn't make sense. So if I'm A, which all of us pretty much, with a few exceptions, are all As on the report call card of health, and I'm constantly going and the authorities that look at my blood workup are the ones who are looking for Ds and Fs before they give advice as to what to do because their expertise is only applicable when your health level is D and F. Well, it just doesn't make sense. I want to know if my A becomes a B or a B minus because that means I'm going down the wrong track. So I want to know before it gets too, too bad to do something about it. So it's not that your medical doctor or the doctor that does the assessment paid by your insurance plan is has bad intentions or is not smart. It's just that their education only pertains to the D's and F's of the report card of health, so to speak. So in order for you to, and that's unfortunately what your insurance provides, you don't have health insurance, you have sick insurance. That's what it boils down to. So be aware of what you have and stop hoping for something different because hope's not going to get you something different. You need to look for it and go for it. So with that said, find out for yourself what to look for become more educated, or go to resources that are experts in that component of health that your health insurance does not pay. <laughs> By the time your health insurance pays for something, many, many years of neglect have, have taken place. I remember there was a time that insurance companies would not pay for what's called TPO which is a marker for autoimmune thyroid. Now they do. But now compared to back then is about 15 years. 15 years of mistreatment is a long time and a lot of irreversible damage. So keep that in mind. Invest in the real thing. Don't go expect your health insurance which I'd like to call sick insurance, to pay for preventative care or subclinical. So many times they're like, oh, this is not, uh, it's experimental, which is nonsense. That's just their way to get out of paying. At any rate, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please forward them to me via email, show at gmail.com, and...